Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the highly humid football podcast from The Times. I'm Alison Rudd and before we begin, don't forget, you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else, simply by downloading The Times app to your smartphone. I'm joined today in the studio by James Scowcroft and Pedro Pinto, And from Jim Proudfoot's garden shed in Andover, it's Jim Proudfoot. Later, we'll be discussing how Arsenal moved five points clear at the top, or were denied a seven-point gap, depending on your point of view, and the drama or hype of the World Cup draw. But first, events compel us to examine what has gone wrong at the Theatre of Dreams. Manchester United, beaten 1-0 by Newcastle at the weekend, having been beaten 1-0 by Everton. Two home defeats on the trot... We'll discuss Roberto Martinez's triumphs in more detail later in the show. So for now, let's just dissect the problems that are facing David Moyes. What's been spoken of more than anything, even more than, you know, the role of Sir Alex, should he still be a... Why did he blooming well appoint, virtually appoint David Moyes anyway? What's been discussed more than anything is the midfield that David Moyes has inherited. And against Newcastle, you had Anita and Teote passing the ball beautifully, dominating. That would never have happened last season, would it, James? No, I think Manchester United, uh, you know, a key, key player who's very, very underrated, in my opinion, is Michael Carrick. I think he's a, a massive blow for Manchester United at the moment. But I think their midfield has been a problem for a few years now. I don't think it's just this season where the problems have uh, occurred. You know, They tried desperately hard to get Fabregas in the summer, which I think would have been an excellent signing. And it's that midfield area, really, which is a key in today's modern-day game. You know, a lot of people uh, pack the midfield, and I think Manchester United are coming up short, really. If you look up front, Van Persie, Rooney, even at the back, although it hasn't been great this season, you know, they're, they're, they're strong at the back. They've got strength in depth there. It's a midfield area that is letting David Moyes down big time at the moment. Jim, is that, is that 
David Moyes' fault? Can we pin the blame on him because he should have identified that was a potential weakness and done more in the summer transfer window? Or is he, is he simply just inherited a squad that, that aren't up to it right now? I think it's a combination of things. I mean, the fact that he's inherited a squad that aren't up to it is clear. Obviously, that is not his fault in any shape or form. I think the timing of David Gill's departure and uh, the succession of uh, Mr Woodward is very significant in all of this because that meant that Manchester United significantly underperformed in the transfer market over the summer. And that's not things that people are saying with the benefit of hindsight. That seemed to be apparent at the time where they're going in for midfielders and, and getting passed up on, on all counts. They end up paying over the odds for Fellaini, over the odds in terms of the fact that it was 20% more than his release clause had been, which they could have got him for earlier earlier in the window. Um, so it just seems as though the whole thing was a nightmare. Fellaini, of course, has just been a, a complete, into footballing terms, disaster for Manchester United so far. They haven't been able to get the combination right and he's used eight different starting midfielders over the last two games and none, not a single one of the eight has been able to perform. Now, how much of that is down to David Moyes and the continued rumours of um, you know, dissent within the camp and, and murmurs of, of frustration from the players, I don't know. But certainly I don't think you can pin the, the actual personnel that's at the club down to David Moyes at this point in time. You, you say it's a, the squad he's inherited isn't good enough. This is roughly the same, you could argue, Paul Scholes in there. It's on the five, last five out of seven Premier League titles. Yeah, do you think it's good enough, James? No, I don't. I don't think it's anywhere near. I don't think they were good enough uh, last year. What they were good at last year, they were good at beating the teams probably in the bottom half of the table. I think when they matched up against Manchester City and other teams, I think they uh, they came short. Um, but I think Manchester United, especially under Sir, Sir Alex, I think they had this sort of desire. They, they could roll their sleeves up and battle better than any other side. And I think that got them over the line. I, I just feel, I actually think Fellaini's not a bad signing for him. But Mario Fellaini needs to play with a Michael Carrick or a Fabregas in midfield. And he his physical presence and his attributes he'll bring his team will then come to side but they haven't got that flair at the moment and, and Mario Fellaini is not going to give them that flair or give them something else but I think he needs one definitely two players to play alongside him that will give the Manchester United that little bit of flair that they, they just haven't got. Alison I, I think it's it's not necessarily only David Moyes' problem I think the overall strategy of the club since they announced that Sir Alex Ferguson was leaving I think hasn't been the best they spent too much time lauding Sir Alex's uh, phenomenal career instead of planning for the future. And then David Moyes came in as someone who, in a way, tried not to ruffle too many feathers, but in another way did by getting rid of all the coaching staff. And then I have a look at some of the midfielders that changed teams this, this summer, guys like João Moutinho, Isco, Mesut Ozil. And I could go on and on, even someone like Condogbia, who's the highly rated French under-21 international who also went to Monaco. And all these guys would have added to what United have right now. They've had an average midfield, as uh, James and Jim have been pointing out, and that's, that's completely right. And they've been overachieving because of that aura that has been at Old Trafford, uh, thanks to Sir Alex Ferguson. And last season, because Robin Van Persie was so good, you take that out of the equation from, from this year and you're left with... with a lot of mediocre players and Anderson should have been shipped out Cleverly still has promise but he hasn't matured Fellaini in my opinion is not a world class player he's good end of story someone like Axel Witzel actually the Belgian central midfielder is better than him in the Belgian setup so I think it's a strategy issue overall and, and Moyes is, is one of the guys who contributed towards it Chaps was there a degree of naivety 
in this. I agree with your point, Pedro, that there was too much time spent making sure that Sir Alex went out on a the right note that everyone knew to laud him. But the naivety comes in with thinking, well, all we need to do is listen to Sir Alex, and when he tells us that the continuity will be provided by David Moyes, who's a, a solid, decent Scot with the same sort of value base... And then, then there was a full stop. Instead of thinking just a tiny bit more laterally and thinking if we're getting rid of someone who's such an enormous personality as Sir Alex, we need to bring in someone who can attract top players and who has the energy and fizz about him to be able to meddle and change and progress the team. By appointing Moyes, they... They've designed what we have now, which is an element of mediocrity. James, does yeah, that no, make I, sense? I totally agree with you. I, I think, you know, from my experience as well, the, the biggest personality at the football club has to be the manager. And if you look at Chelsea, Mourinho's by far the biggest personality there. Alex Ferguson was the biggest personality at Manchester United. I don't think David Moyes has got that aura yet. It might come. I'm not so sure. I, I think, you know, you, you look at the what he created to Alex and it's always going to be hard to follow him but maybe if you would have gone and got Mourinho or Guardiola from but all of a sudden it's all right you know this is something different this is another great manager coming to the club you know this always the Scottish values and I can see I totally agree with you but the Premier League's a, a, a global phenomenon now you know that kind of British manager I think is unfortunately being phased out I think it's you know the players have come from all four corners of the globe now I don't think it's that as difficult as what it was maybe 20 years ago to bring a foreign manager in and I think maybe Manchester United have been a little bit short-sighted in picking David Moyes I think maybe Mourinho would have been a better choice. Jim can they can they solve this in January it's not generally something United do is try and have to they don't even need to normally fix things in January is it fixable in January? Not for this season it's not Um, I mean now I think the goal realistically they're out the title race five defeats in the first 15 matches you know miles adrift of Arsenal at the top of the table so this season is a write-off in terms of the league. What they have to make sure is that they finish in the top four, and that's by no means guaranteed with them languishing in ninth at the moment. I know that Arsenal were in a very similar position, almost an identical number of points and similar position in the league table this time last year. Look where they are now, look where they finished in, in May. So it can be done with, uh, with relatively little fuss, but they've got to get it right in January. They've got to bring players in. They ne- desperately need to sort this midfield out, as we've been saying. They need a centre-half. And, you know, Rooney was suspended. Rooney and Van Persie played very few games uh, in the same team so far this season, it seems. And that's something that they, they've got to try and remedy as well. Let's give some credit to Newcastle. You mentioned that maybe Man United should just be just targeting top four finish. And if they got it, that would be rather good given the start they've had. But Pardew's come out and said, don't rule out Newcastle for a top four. I mean, wasn't so very long ago he looked like <laughs> he was going to be the next manager to be sacked. I mean, he's Pedro. Has it been such a big turnaround, or was it was he always on track, Pardew, this season? <laughs> I don't think he was on track. Uh, I think he's got a very short squad, and as soon as he'll get uh, a few more injuries, which is just normal, especially around the Christmas period, I think Newcastle will creep back into uh, mediocrity. And they've got a, a few good players. Remy has been phenomenal. Uh, got them out of trouble in, in in some games and give them very very valuable points. Um, Anita, I mean, I used to watch him at, at Ajax, and he's 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 a solid he's a solid midfielder. Tiote was great, as we know, a couple of seasons ago. Last year, he 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 fell he fell off the the radar, so to speak. So so he's still a good player. Um, I, I just don't think they have the depth to to, to contend for a top four. Uh, maybe an eighth place finish would be 
more realistic for them. But I think Pardieu deserves all the credit for getting them on this on this winning run after uh, seemingly being close to the sack at the start of the season. We have spent time on this podcast wondering if having too many French players might be uh, <laughs> odd, but. If they're, if they're all playing, if they're all playing for a place at the World Cup, and they're all together and building camaraderie for the World Cup, then James, that's that's only to Newcastle's benefit, isn't it? Well, I think what we're seeing is I think they've they've settled in Newcastle now. You know, it will take them a little bit of time to settle. But if you've got a, a group of players from the same nationality, they're all going to help each other settle a lot quicker on on and off the pitch. And I think Newcastle are, are being shown that now. I think I think last year it was January when they bought. You know, they, they got all the players in. It's very hard to go and get English players now, top good English players. And if you do get them, it's going to cost a lot of money. So you have to look elsewhere. And I think they looked at the French market. And I think Alan Pardew did exceptionally well. How do we feel that David Moyes has conducted himself? I mean, he's, he was never under this this kind of goldfish bowl pressure at Everton. So, I mean, Jim, do you, do you feel he's conducting himself well? I do. I must admit, I mean, Manchester United fans might not agree with me, but I don't think you're looking at David Moyes yet and thinking he's losing the plot, it's all getting to him, in the same way that you would perhaps look at Mourinho after some of Chelsea's recent performances and and think that. I don't think that David Moyes um, is enjoying it one iota. I mean, you you saw him in the second half at at Old Trafford on Saturday and it looked as though he was, uh, you know, almost visibly distressed with what was going on. But it could have been a different story. I mean, you have to say that had Manchester United got the penalty for Vernon Anita's handball on the line and they take a 1-0 lead, then I think they would have gone on to win that game. And then the whole issue, the whole news agenda, our podcast today, everything is of a completely different angle. Uh, when, but now that United have lost two home defeats, this is when the pressure might start to tell. Ask me the same question again next Monday, Ali, and it might be a completely different answer. Well, it's been a um, bad weekend for Manchester United, but a good weekend for football because football, folks, was the winner at the Emirates. One all draw between Arsenal and Everton and everybody gushing about what a great advert this is for the Premier League. And of course, I mean, it was, I'm not, I'm, I'm, touch of sarcasm in the voice there, it was a good advert for the Premier League. But what does it tell us about, well, first of all, what, what does the match and the result tell us about Arsenal's title challenge, Jim? If you look at the statistics, and um, I will buy myself a little bit of time while I get them in front of me, but Everton hardly ever get beaten. And I think that the fact that uh, Arsenal didn't win this game doesn't mean that, oh, here we go, we, we're expecting a wobble. It's it's happened. They've only drawn at home to Everton. They've conceded in the last seven minutes, so they're not going to win. Everton have only lost eight out of the last 62 Premier League games. So the fact that Arsenal haven't beaten them is neither here nor there, really. I think that you could look at it and the fact that Everton were so much the better side in the opening 35 minutes and yet Arsenal have come within two inches of winning the game, that probably tells you more about Arsenal than the fact that they didn't win. The fact that they they had the resilience and the character to weather a pretty significant storm. But for all that possession that Everton had, they really didn't create too many clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities. And Arsenal, on an off day, being able to limit the number of opportunities that Everton had and still coming within... Inches of winning the game with Giroud's effort in stoppage time. I think that that says a lot about Arsenal and, and underlines their credentials rather than dilutes them. Well, I, I, I agree with you, Jim, but it does seem to me that for the past sort of four weeks, maybe longer, almost every Arsenal result has been in the context of, ah, this is, this is an Arsenal who are winning even though they're not playing well, or this is an Arsenal who are getting the points when 
the opposition really looked quite like the better team or had more, more possession for large sections of them. And yeah. it can't go on forever that we keep saying Arsenal are going to win the title because they're winning when not playing well. They have Granted, to start playing well again soon. But none of their title rivals are winning when they don't play very well. Um, you could say you could look at Liverpool's defeat at Hull, you could look at Chelsea's uh, defeat at Stoke and so on and so forth. Plenty of other examples and Manchester United, of course, have got a litany of them. Uh, so I know what you're saying, but this is obviously, it goes without saying, a crucial period for Arsenal yeah. because their next three games were against the team's fifth, fourth and third uh, in the Premier League at the start of this weekend. Now, how do they come out of these? If they go through all these three games with three draws, I might have to, to revise my thinking. But at the, uh, I still think Manchester City will win it, but I think that, that Arsenal are going to run them much closer than I thought. Now, what, what, are, we, what are we making of Mesut Ozil, James? Because it seems to me he had a beautiful start and he, he hit the ground running, didn't need to adapt at all to English football. But uh, lately, he's not been doing a lot, and yet what he does is hugely significant. It's not a bad thing to do, is it? I, I actually think... You know, is, is he the best player in the Premier League at the moment? Probably not. I just think he's given Arsenal that aura that they needed to kickstart something, kickstart their season. You know, I was, t- I was told last year when Van Persie walked into United's change room, people like Giggs and Skulls said, we're not messing around this season then. And I think Mehmet Ozil has had that impact on Arsenal. Maybe not as much in the games as probably some Arsenal fans would want. I still think he contributes a lot. I think he, you know, if you look at Arsenal's midfield now, Ramsey, Ozil, Arteta... You know, it goes on and on and on. You know, Cazola is another one. So strong. Probably got the strongest midfield in the Premier League. That's why they probably are where they are. I I agree with Jim because Arsenal have surprised me this year. I've never rated them to win the title over the last five years, no matter how well they're playing or how many points they're... They're, um, they're accumulating early in the season, late in the season. I just don't see that. But this year, I'm just confused. I, I don't know. I don't know what they can do. I have no idea. I don't know how much longer Aaron Ramsey can wear that cape that, that he seems to, <laughs> to, to, to wear every single game and the goals he co- can come up with. They've been doing this without Theo Walcott. He's back. Oxlade-Chamberlain will come back. This is a team that I think going forward and scoring goals, they'll get the job done. Mesut Ozil... I believe is overrated. This is controversial to say, but okay, he's overrated because most people think he's a 9 out of 10. I think he's an 8 out of 10. So he's, it's not like he's incredibly overrated. And the only reason why I say that is because his performances fluctuate so much. And he's one of these players that can come in and out of games, and that's so frustrating. And at Real Madrid, I know the fans there sometimes just they, they used to te- want to tear their, their, their hair out because he's so talented on the ball. But then a lot of times he's kind of walking around a bit and kind of hiding away from possession a little bit. So but they if, didn't want him to leave, Pedro, did they? I can remember no. when the Bale incident situation was going on, they were devastated that he was going to leave and almost thought, well, hold on a minute, yeah, we are getting a good player here. <laughs> He so that, that's not easy to no. win over the Real Madrid fans and, and be, you know, that tells me a lot about the player. Because in Madrid, they love the technique and the guy has incredible technique. So any player who shows up and treats the ball well, as they say over there, that they, they fall in love with very quickly. But the truth is in big games and in Champions League semifinals, and they've lost, they lost three of them in a row, Ozil was always a little bit missing. This is my Yeah, no, no, uh, I, I agree. And, and he... Probably is inconsistent. I saw him at Old Trafford last year and I thought he was outstanding mm. for Real Madrid last week. But he does come in and out. Even his goal yesterday, you know, it is a tap-in, but he's, he's controlled it so well, you know, and has guided the ball into it. I don't think he's just run into the box and he does know, shut at least, his he does, eyes. What he does, he does at least one 
incredibly lovely thing per game mm. that is significant. It's not, it's, not, it's not sort of lost mm. in the middle of the park and nothing comes of it. It's either setting up a goal. Mm. I, I just think it gave Arsenal a big lift, you know, going out and being a big... And he, he is a big star, you know. He is coming from Real Madrid as well, being a German international as well. I think he gave Arsenal that big boost and I think Arsenal have benefited from it being a very inconsistent Premier League season so far. Um, and they've been the most consistent side. But I think December is going to uh, tell us exactly how good Arsenal are. And also, traditionally, Arsenal do improve as the season goes on. So if they're improving from the position There's where they're five points clear... a lot of teams improve this season, aren't they? But that, that's, what, that's what Arsenal have always done. So if, if, they, yeah, keep, yeah. if they maintain that trajectory, they're going to win the title, aren't they? So what do we think about Everton? I, probably the most significant result of the season so far was that Roberto Martinez took an Everton side that could not beat a so-called top four team and took them to the man, the man who stopped them from doing that and won at Old Trafford and then goes to Arsenal. And as you know, Arteta said, they outplayed us for chunks of this game and they're the best team we've played this season. That's one hell of an impact at the club, isn't it? And without Leighton Baines as well, huh? Yeah, Leighton Baines is a massive player for Everton. I actually think, you know, you look at the football and, and Martinez, fair play to him. They've got him playing some great, great football, but I think they've got three players. The two lads at the back, Distan and Jagielka, I think have got a fantastic partnership going and are very, very strong. But up front in uh, Lukaku, I think they've got a fantastic signing. And it's all right having all this possession and going backwards and sideways, but you've got to have a focal point up front. You've got to have someone who's going to penetrate that back four. And that Lukaku, what he does, he just makes teams defend so deep because he's so strong and powerful. That gives the midfield room to play, and especially people like Ross Barkley. Is it fair to say, though, that David Moyes' reputation at Manchester United, or reputation this season, has been almost as damaged as much as what's happened at Everton as what's happened at Manchester United because he made the move east on the back of so many excellent seasons with Everton where he's managed to get the best out of scarce resources and haven't they overperformed? Well, now there's a new man in charge and they're performing even better, playing better football. So has, has that damaged David Moyes, do you think, more really in some ways than what's happened? Well, yeah, that, that's why I said it was the most significant result of the season so far, because I think it really dented Moyes' reputation, the fact that Martinez, he's been at Everton a few months and already they've absorbed his new philosophy. He's attracted Lukaku. You know, he won Lukaku off West Brom. That was not an easy transfer, loan transfer to negotiate. Could that be his biggest problem, Alison, that some of the players are lone players? He has the resources he has. You do, you, I mean, you know, you, how far ahead is he thinking? I think he's, he's only thinking this season. I, I respect Everton a lot and I think they have a lot of upside uh, potential this season. I mean, Gareth Barry has, has surprised me as well because I thought he was pretty much done uh, last season with Manchester City, but he's been very influential there. I think Barkley is one of the most promising uh, midfielders in the country. And uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of Lukaku. I, I think Chelsea made a huge mistake to let him go. And I think the reason why Mourinho said that he's had a falling out with him is to try to justify the mistake he made by allowing him to leave. Honestly, um, we talked about Newcastle before trying to challenge for a top four spot. I say no f- to them, but Everton very much so. If they can stay healthy, why not? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. But they've got enough players who can change games, and if they can uh, stay there or thereabouts until Baines c- comes back, I, I, I really think they've got, a, they've got a good shot. Let's go back to, you mentioned Ross Barkley. I mean, Jim, Martinez said yesterday... I've never seen an England player with that mentality. I mean, first of all, we have to say, whenever you ask Martinez about an individual, he always hypes them up. He's very good at that. So he has said quotable things about every member of that squad. But what do you think he means when he says he's not seen an England player with that mentality, Jim? I don't know. I I saw that quote and I thought... Yeah, what are you what are you trying to trying to get at? Is it that there isn't another England player at the moment with that mentality, with that confidence to be able to to run at players and drive at players from midfield? Plenty of comparisons have been made almost inevitably with with Paul Gascoigne. So it might just be that he hasn't seen an Everton play, an England player of that mentality since he's been managing in the top flight. That probably is a fair comment, but there haven't been any before. I don't know. I do think that Ross Barkley is an immense talent. Very, very exciting. And the potential problem I see is that he's going to be hyped beyond all recognition between now and the World Cup and consequently is expected to go and, and perform and deliver the World Cup for us where clearly he's only, a, he's only a teenager and his best times, inevitably, whatever he does this season, his best times will still be ahead of him. James, you, you coach. Is it good for a young player to be praised so highly by his manager publicly so early in his career? I think you, you're always going to get praise. You can't be a top premiership player, which he is a you know, which he is at the moment. Doesn't matter how old he is, and not get praise. That's going to is how you manage it. I think Sir Alex Ferguson was the best in his time of slowly blending players into the media, putting them in the spotlight, then dragging them out. And and I think that's what Martinez has to do. I think what he means, Jim, by his quote, I think if you look at Ross play, his awareness of what's around him is so mature for his young age. That that usually comes from experience. If you look at Paul Scholes and players like that, over time they've developed that niche of when to play one touch, when to play two touch, when to find space. And for someone who's 20 years old to come and do that at his age now is staggering, really. And, and what he could go on and achieve, yeah, it's fantastic for English football. I actually think on the, whether he can maintain the season, the form he's in, I, I think he's got a fantastic shout to go to Brazil. Oh, for sure. And one final word on, on Dilu Feo as well, the the guy on loan from Barcelona. I mean, he was really highly rated in, in, in Spain. The only reason why he didn't stay was because they didn't like his attitude. He was a little bit of a maverick. But if, if, if he settles into English football, which it seems like he's starting to do now, this guy can, can score six, seven, eight goals. Maverick and being a euphemism for but, but Pedro, awkward or what? what so no, just, just, just being a little bit of a, of a party animal, a little bit of uh, not following in the footsteps of all the other traditional Barcelona products like Iniesta, like Busquets, like, um, I, I don't know, Messi to, to, to a certain way where his private life is also 
quite contained. Delufeo was out on the town. He's someone who uh, maybe rates himself higher than other Barcelona players would individually. So I think he was punished a little bit by, uh-huh. by uh, being sent away. But Barcelona have, have their eye on him and they're going to give him another shot. And do we know if he's behaving in, on Merseyside? Well, I haven't heard any, anything to the contrary, so I wouldn't like to start any kind of rumours now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? No, I was going to say he's another lone player. That, that's yeah, Everton's yeah. problem, isn't it? It's great and I'm sure but he's going to have a great season yeah. so far. But next season, if he does do really, really well, are Barcelona going to take him back or is... You know, probably a bigger club who can offer him Champions League. Well, yes, as well. success brings problems. Yeah, it does, but yes. you know, <laughs> I think I honestly think Martinez would say that's why I'll have all those problems yeah. in a year's yeah, time. Yeah, no. I don't care. On to the debate. So the dust has settled on the World Cup draw, and after all that hype, are we left feeling excited or weary? And are we being over parochial in believing that it's just Luis Suarez that stands between England and World Cup glory, or at least a place in the last 16? So, Jim, first of all, World Cup draw actually in itself was a bit controversial. There was, there was debates over whether there was a bit of uh, racism o- over how they presented the whole thing and uh, whether it was a bit naff as well. Now that you've had a chance to absorb who's got who and who's playing where. What is your overwhelming feeling, Jim? Are you thinking woohoo or oh my goodness? I was deflated when Sir Jeff Hurst drew us out to be in that group at the time. It was a, uh, one of those oh no moments. But in the cold light of day over the, the 72 hours since, I don't think it's quite as bad a draw as uh, perhaps Greg Dyke wanted to make out it was at the time. We probably got realistically, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as an Englishman, trying not to be partisan and trying to be completely realistic and cold-hearted about it, uh, we've probably got less than a 50% chance of uh, of getting out of the group. I think that Uruguay are near certainties to get out of the group. It, it's not quite a coin toss between England and Italy, but it, it's not far short. I think it's. It, I think that the England-Italy game, that first game, um, it's good that we play them first. Uh, because the conditions are going to be difficult, but they will be just as difficult for Italy as they are for England. Italy, traditionally, in tournaments, are slow starters, so England might be able to take advantage of that. But, I mean, it goes without saying that 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 already is a game that England cannot afford to lose. I think if England can pick up five points from the group, that will be enough to get them through. The only problem being that England's likely second-round opponents most likely second-round opponents uh, before a ball is kicked is Colombia, and I think Colombia will be too good for England. So in, in terms of the draw, it could have been a lot better than it is. It's not disastrous. Oh. We could be in Group B, but it's not brilliant. So all, all over the country now, people are cancelling the tickets they bought for flights to Rio. Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, suggest, I wouldn't suggest that. I just don't expect to... Uh, don't have a punt on England to win your playing ticket back at the end of the tournament. That's all I'm saying. I, I just think that you've got to be realistic about it. And I'd love to sit here and say, we've got a fantastic chance of winning the World Cup, but I don't believe we have. Well, I know, I know, Pedro, you might disagree with Jim slightly on whether Uruguay are as tough an opponent as everyone seems to assume. You're not that big a fan of them, are you? Well, this is not the same team that, that made the semi-finals of the, of the last World Cup. There's no doubt about it because everyone's a lot older. Diego Forlan is a non-factor. Diego Lugano is over the hill, as some West Brom fans might, might attest to after, after this weekend. Jorge Fusile, who's one of the right or left back, he's, he's over the hill. There, there are many players in this kind of position now. A team boasting two forwards like Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani, will always give someone else problems. And uh, Uruguay are 
strong when when they can feed those two guys and they can wreak havoc up front. But you have to to remember that this is a team that finished in fifth place in South America, which isn't exactly the most competitive group on the planet because Brazil wasn't qualifying. Argentina were head and shoulders above everyone else. And then all the other teams, Colombia were a big surprise, of course, and they played very good football. But outside of the top two, Argentina, Colombia, everybody else was kind of mediocre. And for Uruguay to not to be able to finish in the top four behind teams like Ecuador, I mean, come on. It shows that they're not as strong as they were before. So if I if I uh, were, were were an England fan, I wouldn't be feeling too bad about the group. It's not like Italy are, are, are the best uh, are in the best shape at the moment. And and if you don't beat Costa Rica, you shouldn't be going to a World Cup anyway. Even though they qualified quite well because Mexico were so poor, I feel worse as a Portuguese uh, national having to deal with Germany and Ghana and and the United States, to be honest. So I I don't think it's a group of death. I I think it's a a tough group. I think France uh, got it pretty easy. I think Argentina got it pretty easy. But... You know, you have to you have to beat who's there, and, and okay. So how? Through. Okay, so I I accept that probably overall the reaction uh, amongst England fans and commentators has been, it's a tough group, and are we good enough? But how how have people in Portugal reacted to being drawn in the toughest group? Is it one of fighting spirit? You can throw what you like at us, we're going to qualify, or is it? Are you equally down downhearted oh, in yeah. Portugal? Yeah, You're down. We, yes, yes, because we were quite poor during qualifying. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, on his own, pretty much, uh, dragged the whole team there with his performance against Sweden in both games, especially in the away in the away leg. So yeah, no, no one's really confident in Portugal at all because uh, they, they haven't been playing well for for a couple of years. And um, when you face someone like Germany, uh, you have to come to terms with the fact that you're probably going to lose because. It, Germany have been great in, in, in tournaments recently, um, have always been, but recently with this manager and with this group of players, especially in the group stage. And then and then you've got the United States, who we don't have a particularly good record again, against and who were very good in qualifying, and Ghana, who have been growing and growing in confidence. And after the, the, the last performance, uh, the last World Cup, they should be feeling confident. So, no, they're not very confident. No. We're not if, you very look, confident. if you look at the last sort of eight results for Portugal and the last eight results for Germany... Their game should be an eight-all draw, I think. James, uh, James, what did what was the highlight for you from the draw? What's excited you about it, or indeed depressed you? No, nothing's depressed me. I think it's a World Cup in Brazil. I know there's a lot of negativity about Brazil at the moment and the, the tournament as well. But I'm hoping when it comes round to June, if Brazil can't really hold hold a great, great World Cup, then then nobody can. I think it's going to be a great tournament and I think it's probably similar to the Premiership now. I think it's wide open. You know, you look at Spain, Brazil, probably two teams that stand out. Yes, England have got a tough group, but I agree with Pedro. I don't think Uruguay and Italy are invincible at all. And I think the one, the biggest thing that England have got going for them, they're probably going to go into a tournament in my lifetime where expectations are as low as what they've ever been. England have always turned up at a tournament where you've had a past managers singing about winning a World Cup, of this expectation, this expectation, and it's almost impossible to live with, where I actually think they'll approach this tournament, and as long as they can get past Italy in the first game, and if they can get some kind of positive result and grow into the tournament, you never know. But expectation is low, and I think that will help England. Pedro, which amongst the, the clubs that are expected to do well in the World Cup came away from that draw rubbing their hands and thinking, well, we got lucky there. Argentina, for sure. Um, I think Brazil, Brazil, I think, have a very, 
accessible group. I, I, yeah. I think they are the, the favorites to, to win the competition after seeing them there packing the, the home stadium and the atmosphere at the Confederations Cup. I don't think it's going to be a smooth ride for this World Cup. I think there are going to be protests. I think it's the organization of this World Cup is worse than the one in South Africa. I really do. And they're in a worse situation now than South Africa was with, with a few months to go for the tournament. So I think it's going to be a party, but I think it's going to be a tumultuous party. And, and as far as other teams that, that, that can go on and, and win it, I think I have to put Germany there uh, after Spain. Brazil... Uh, Brazil, Spain, Germany, Belgium. But do you think, you know, we're talking about the expectations for England, do you think that is probably Brazil's toughest goal, being at home, having the whole nation behind them, that expectation? You know, they've got this massive World Cup pedigree, Brazil. I don't see it as a problem for them. I, can, I, I, I read I think, Pelé this week saying he, he can remember his father crying in 1950 when Uruguay yeah. scored and he never wanted, doesn't want his son to see that. It's just... Last time out, that is what happened. You know, they couldn't quite handle the uh, the expectations. I could be completely wrong about this, but I think it will be a spiritual experience for Brazil, this World Cup at home. Luis Felipe Scolari will be like a bulletproof. So apart from uh, Neymar, who really have they got that? I think, I think Hulk is going to be very good at this World Cup. Uh, I think Luis Gustavo and Paulinho are phenomenal together in centre midfield. And even though... They're out of favor at the moment. I think David Luiz and Julio Cesar will be will be very important. So I have seen that team play with Scolari, and they've convinced me. Uh, now, if they get an injury to Neymar or something like that before the tournament, obviously a lot, a lot changes. But this is a huge occasion for Brazil. It's a huge occasion for South America. And on the pitch anyway, I think the Brazilians will deliver. Pedro mentioned... Um protests there, Jim. Do you, I mean, do you think if Brazil just win, then there won't be any protests? If Brazil disappoint, it's going to turn a bit ugly? I, I don't think it's going to help. I mean, we saw the the violence uh, in the in the game that took place uh, Sunday night, the league game, I think shows that there is an undercurrent of domestic violence. But you can't say that that just because there is domestic violence at some league games and it was a, you know an epic league encounter which saw Vasco relegated that that means that it will necessarily spread to the world cup the protests of course that everybody fears are from largely non-football fans mm-hmm. as opposed to football fans so i think that uh, you know it's not going to help when the brazilian public at large will be taken in by the event and if they were to be eliminated it's not going to help and there might be scenes of unrest but i don't know i can't predict you know sort of how far reaching they will be I do think that Brazil's draw whereas their group is very easy the fact that to group B contains Spain Chile and Holland could be a major problem because they know that whoever they get in group B uh, in the in the in the round of 16 is going to be a very difficult opponent and I don't necessarily and you know record this and and play it back to me on June the 14th by all means but I don't necessarily think that the, the Brazil squad is as strong as people make it out to be. Hulk has had domestically, and I know there's a world of difference between representing your country on home soil and, and playing um, you know, league football in Russia, but domestically he's not had a very good season this year. And I, I just wor- wonder, worry that they, a little bit like Portugal, with no disrespect, Pedro, are, are a one-man team. Do you honestly think Brazil's squad is better than England's? Yes. Uh, man for man, I do. I don't think it is a strong enough squad for them to be justifiable favourites as short a price as they are. I think that is purely down to home advantage. But I do think it's better than England's. I would rather have 
Neymar than in our, in our squad than any Englishman. And who, who else would you have then in in the Brazil side? Paulinho better than Jack Wil- have, Wilkshire. Oh, yes, I think it probably would. Probably would. I don't know. I don't know. In in all fairness, and and I've already talked down Hulk. So uh, I mean, I'd rather have Rooney than Hulk up front. I'd. I'd I would you'd rather, rather have, have Wayne Mooney than Hulk up front. Yeah, I'd rather have Joe Hart than uh, Julio Cesar. Um, so I, I see what you're saying, James, but I, I just think that... Don't, don't get me of... wrong, I, I don't think, you know, it's not the, the greatest of England squad, but I think if England can get their best 11, and it is a big but because there's a lot of football to be played between now and June, yeah, if England can get their best 11 out, and you look at Brazil's best 11, yeah, Neymar's a terrific talent, but I look at, you know, David Luiz at the back, is he that... Bigger superstar. Well, you see, I would, gonna... I would, I would play Thiago Silva alongside Dante at centre half, and I wouldn't have David Luiz playing if, if I was Scolari, um, just on the on the basis of what I've seen of their their club form, and I would rather have Thiago Silva or Dante than any of the potential England centre halves that we could field. Time for our famous quick hits. Gary Lineker missed an open goal on Match of the Day when he described Norwich's ability to keep bouncing back and he didn't call it bounce-back ability. But what's going on with Chris Hewton's side, James? He's under pressure, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I live in that area, not, not a million miles from uh, Norwich. And they did spend big in the summer, which for the club the size of Norwich, um, I actually thought they got some good players in. But like I say, you know, they, they win the home games, it's just their away form. Uh, and you know, to be fair to them, I, you know, they got criticised for going to Man City and and losing heavily and going to Liverpool and heavily. I don't think they'll be the first teams that suffer that feat. As long as they pick up their home form and and get home wins, which they are at the moment, and people like Gary Hooper start coming into form, which they are at the moment, I think Norwich will be okay. Is the crisis averted at Spurs, Pedro? After all, I saw AVB give Holtby a hug when he was subbed. It depends what the expectations there are. If it's of a top four. I don't think it'll happen this season. So if that'll be a crisis, then Spurs will be in crisis for the rest of the year. I think they've got too many new players. Andre Villas-Boas is still not a very popular guy. He may be with some players, but he alienates too many with his eccentric ways of seeing the game. So um, I think he'll he'll last the season, but uh, I I don't know if they'll finish top four. The West Ham captain is sent off and the entire team fall apart at Anfield. Are we looking at a team that knows it's in a relegation battle, Jim? They do know that they're in a relegation battle and they are because there's only one side who've got less points than them and that's Sunderland. I think that the team had fallen apart long before Kevin Nolan was sent off and listening to phone-ins on my way back from Stoke on Saturday didn't appear to be too many West Ham fans that were disillusioned at the prospect of Nolan missing three games through suspension. They feel that uh, he gets in the team whether he's playing well or not and he's one of the first names on Sam's team sheet. But at home... Their most recent performance when they beat Fulham 3-0, they made it look as though they'd have no problems. The two performances away from home since have really thrown them right into the midst of a relegation battle and they're going to struggle. It's the obvious question of the day, but why can't Chelsea defend all of a sudden, James? I think they're struggling. I think they're, they're missing that... You know, When Jose Mourinho was first at Chelsea, he had Michael Essien in midfield, who was a real stopper in midfield and protected the back four. I think Chelsea are desperately missing that kind of player. And Czech doesn't... Well, he's on the wane, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Everyone say yeah. Oh, another obvious question. Pedro, will Berbatov stay at Fulham and can they survive if he leaves in January? No and yes. I think uh, Berbatov 
would do well himself to go to a club where he can appreciate the end of his career in a better and a less tumultuous way and team with more talented players around him. You make as him sound well. like a pony that needs to be go to a retirement <laughs> farm. <laughs> I'd like to see him at a better team and I think he would as well. Uh, I don't think they'll go down. I, I I don't think Fulham's team is that bad. Their midfield is is super strong, even if they're old. And uh, I, I really like uh, a few of their um, creative players as well, like uh, Degaja, De Dejaga. What's the correct way to say that? Dejaga. Yeah, I, I, I like him. I like Asami. I like. Um, I think Fulham have enough to to stay up. Yet again, City stumble away from home. Isn't it slightly ludicrous, Jim? This golfing class between their home form and how they perform away from the Etihad. Well, I've seen three of the four defeats that they've suffered away from home this season, Manchester City, and two of them, they were very unlucky and they were much the better side. They weren't the better side at Southampton at the weekend. I'm not going to pretend that they were, but uh, that's not the worst point away from home. When you've won 44 of your last 50 home games in the Premier League, your away form is bound to be worse than that. And yes, there is a disparity, but they will be able to sort it out and I still think they'll win the title. Alison, I've, I've got one for you. Um, are you going to say, I told you so now, that Tony Poulis is guiding Crystal Palace out of danger? I'm not that sort of person, but I did actually <laughs> say he would. Um, he's done two things, Tony Pulis. He's kept it simple. I love the way after his first home victory, he bounced like Tigger into the press room. And he said, yeah, I played 4-4-2. No one plays 4-4-2. I play 4-4-2 because I've always played 4-4-2 and that's the way football should be played. I just like his certainty that that's, that's what you do. And also, he when he was at Stoke, Actually, one of the reasons they did well from the off when they were promoted was he got the crowd on his side and everyone who went to the Britannia said, wow, that that result was because the crowd never gave up on them. It was an amazing atmosphere. And he's courting the Crystal Palace fans who are good anyway at keeping behind their team. And I think if he can keep the fans positive and maybe one or two of the other clubs in danger, their home support um, sort of falter occasionally, that might just be the, the that little 1% of difference that um, does keep them it's, up. It's going, sorry, it's going back to the personality mm. that we talked about at the start of the show. Is it the manager having that personality? And he has Tony Pulis. I think he's come in and, you know, I don't do relegation. I don't do this is where we're going. Blah, blah, and people just buy into it. They believe. Wow. Pulis for United. Sorry. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And on that mm note, I have to say thank you to the panel, James Scowcroft, Jim Proudfoot and Pedro Pinto. Don't forget, you can see all the goals and the rest of the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. Thank you and goodbye. Your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification and you're away. You're away.